Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2018, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our next Starseed Quest to Arkansas is for Pleiadian lineup on May 18th through the 21st. All you need to have is at least one galactic star marking on your astrological chart, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a soul group reunion in the crystal capital of the world, designed to enable a catalyst for starseed empowerment to higher frequencies. We've redesigned this event to be much more affordable than the previous gatherings, so if this sounds like what you've been looking for, just write to crystals, that's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com for more details. We're so happy to welcome one of our favorite people back to Starseed Radio Academy. Craig Campobasso is a multi-talented Starseed, a casting director with an Emmy nomination for casting Picket Fences. He's a screenwriter, producer, director, and author, as well as an acting coach in Los Angeles. His trilogy, Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga, um, I Am Tehran, Waking Tehran and Tehran's Dossier is followed by his fourth book, The Heroid Revolution. On a previous show, we talked about his new short film called Stranger at the Pentagon, based on the popular UFO book by Dr. Frank Stranges. It's based on the true story of an ET named Valiant Thor who lived at the Pentagon for three years in the late 50s. And this film has won many awards for Best Sci-Fi Short Film. And Craig also had a guest appearance on Ancient Aliens talking about The Stranger at the Pentagon. We strongly support all of his work and urge you to check out his websites, strangeratthepentagon.com and autobiographyofnet.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or a comment for Craig. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices. Our toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. 
You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, uh, we are going to hear from Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia. Hey, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back with you. We have lots of news tonight. There is a new sunspot, sunspot AR2700 uh, on the sun right now, but it does have a simple, stable magnetic field. Not to worry so far. Not much happening. It's quiet. But there is a geomagnetic storm underway today. We already had one. They say another one is possible because the solar wind is blowing faster than a million miles per hour as it's, as it's impacting Earth's magnetic field. And wow. today we had about 1,800 potentially hazardous asteroids. That's awesome in one day. And it was just a few days ago that we had an asteroid come within one-third of a lunar distance um, that's really close. That's a close shave. Today we have um, one going by right now that is 4.2 lunar distances. Actually, there are three asteroids coming pretty close to us on this very day. One of them is about 14 lunar distances. That's no big deal. The other one is 4.2 and one at 5.5. And on into the middle of next March, we have a number of close shaves coming up. Now, there are periods of time when there aren't that many asteroids active in our region, but right now we seem to be in a particularly active time. And there is water on the moon. Evidence from lunar missions is finding that water is widely distributed across the moon's surface. That is wild. And that's according to a new, a new analysis that comes out of two lunar missions. This is uh, information that NASA has released. They say that the new evidence contradicts previous research, suggesting that water was confined to certain areas and depended on lunar days. Uh, NASA says, we find that it doesn't matter what time of the day or which latitude we look at. The signal indicating water is always present is there. It's not very well written, but that's what they say. They go on to say the presence of water doesn't appear to depend on the composition of the surface, and the water hangs around. In other words, it doesn't dry up or dissipate. Now, it's hoped that the results that they're finding will lead to a greater understanding of the origins of the moon's water and offer insight into how we could use it as a resource, of course. Now, it's not yet clear how accessible the water supply is, but if it is convenient enough to get to, it could be used as drinking water for future explorers or perhaps, according to NASA, be converted into rocket fuel. Now, earlier studies have suggested that more water was detected at the moon's polar latitudes and that the strength of the water signal waxes and wanes according to the time of the lunar day. However, these analyses depended on remote sensing instruments that were challenged by the mixture of reflected and emitted light. And on this latest examination, uh, the team has created a new model to incorporate temperature information to get more accurate results. And their results showed widespread and relatively immobile water, indicating that it may be present primarily as something called hydroxyl. 
and more reactive relative of H2O. And that is made of one oxygen atom and one hydrogen atom. So it also suggests that any H2O, as opposed to hydroxyl, which is OH, so they're suggesting that any HTO present on the moon isn't loosely attached to the surface. They think it's conceivable that H2O, our form of water, could be slowly released from deep inside minerals where it's been locked since the moon was formed. They still have not yet figured out where this water has come from. And I would like to know what the content of the water is, but clearly they haven't sampled water. In fact, it's been a long time since we've been up there. According to some, if we've been up there at all, who knows? But anyway, this is by remote instrumentation, and so we have no way of knowing if this is factual or even what that water contains. So we'll keep our ear to the ground for that one. But it's interesting that they're coming out with this. Interesting, don't you think, that they have never been back and they're doing all of this remote analysis of the moon, and yet uh, there are plans to colonize Mars. Interesting. Well, 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 well. The chimera is real. Well, the chimera has been real for a very long time. Remember Atlantis. But this article informs us that scientists have just made sheep-human hybrids. Researchers have achieved a new, ty- a new kind of chimeric first, producing sheep-human hybrid embryos that could one day represent the future of organ donation. No thank you, but they plan on using body parts grown inside unnatural engineered animals. We've talked about this before on this program. With that end goal in mind, scientists have created the first interspecies sheep-human chimera, introducing human stem cells into sheep embryos, resulting in a hybrid creature that's more than 99% sheep, but also 1% human. Admittedly, the human portion of the embryos created in this experiment before they were destroyed after 28 days is exceedingly small, they're assuring the public, but the fact that it exists at all is what is generating considerable controversy in this field of research. Now, a biologist associated with this experiment said, and I quote, the contribution of human cells is so very small. It's nothing like a pig with a human face or a human brain or anything like that. He goes on to say that by cell count, only one in 10,000 cells in the sheep are human. Now, the research builds on previous experiments by some of the same research team that saw scientists successfully grow human cells inside early-stage pig embryos in the lab creating pig-human hybrids that the research researchers are calling interspecies chimeras. Now, these researchers are very quick to point out that while the mad scientist stereotype such as I present on this program is fully present and accounted for in this research, these divisive experiments could one day provide a unique solution for thousands of people on donation waiting lists for, life save, for life-saving organs most of whom die before compatible body parts can be sourced for them. The scientists go on to say that even today the best-matched organs, unless they come from identical twins, don't last very long because with time the immune system continually attacks them. Well, I would like them to prove to all of us that the immune system is not going to attack 
a pig human organ. And they don't go on to further <laughs> that, but that's because they're going to talk themselves into a corner. They say that for the transplant to work, the researchers think that at least 1% of the embryo cells would need to be human, meaning these first steps demonstrated in the sheep study are still very preliminary. Of course, upping the human ratio in the chimera mix also inevitably increases ethical qualms about the kind of... (laughs) 1% or 10% makes no difference to this person. So up it or not, I still think there are ethical qualms about this kind of creature being created ostensibly for the sole purpose of having its essential organs harvested. Now this article says there's no easy answers to the kinds of ethical questions this sort of research raises. But with someone added to a U.S. transplant list every 10 minutes, the researchers couldn't discount the possibilities of what chimeras could one day do for the human race. The findings were presented over the weekend at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Well, there has been a revolutionary new state of matter created. Okay, hang in there with me. This is complex. I've tried to thin it out for you a little bit to make it less mind-boggling. Speaking of mind-boggling, anything to do with atomic science is mind-boggling. Now, atoms. Let's talk about atoms for a second. Sometimes when you pull an atom apart, things go kaboom. At other times, when you shove a bunch of atoms together, whoever would have thought of it, well, they've discovered that you can create something quite different. Scientists from the Vienna University of Technology and Harvard University have been playing around with the empty space between atoms in the academic equivalent of trying to figure out how many ping-pong balls a person can fit inside their mouths. Now, everybody knows or should know that atoms have a lot of vacant, empty space. So what if we took a big atom with a considerable amount of wiggle room and we jammed it full of smaller atoms? Well... To make this weird experiment work, scientists needed to pick the right kind of atom to host their infinitesimally tinier particles. Now, for this purpose, there exists what is known as a Rydberg atom. Now, this atom has an electron that orbits its nucleus at a particularly wide distance, uh, wide, several hundred nanometers, folks. But they say that's enough space to fit thousands of small, compact hydrogen atoms. Well, they did it. They stuffed the the Ryberg atom uh, full of strontium atoms. And let's see, I'm looking at this. It's 107 atoms they put inside of the big atom. Now, we are talking infinitesimally small here. How they do this stuff is beyond me. Whether or not they should do it is not beyond any of us. But now they say that they have formed a new form of matter. And it needs to be kept at absolute zero in order to keep it stable. They say if this new weird atom warms up to the point that it starts spinning faster, it will deteriorate, and who else knows what's going to happen to it. 
the article says it'll be interesting to see where this new creation, this new form of matter goes in the near future. Not much is known about how this atom is going to act, but now that it exists, scientists are working to figure out this weird and unpredictable form of artificial matter. <clears throat> well, when I want to think of someplace really, really, really cold, you think about the North Pole, maybe Siberia. Who doesn't? My goodness, the North Pole, home of Santa Claus, icicles and <laughs> snowdrifts and, and igloos and stuff like that. Well, this is amazing, guys. Listen to this. This comes out of the Washington Post, a reliable source. This article says that the sun won't rise at the North Pole until March 20th. And right now at the North Pole, it's about the coldest time of year. But there has been a historic thaw that's occurred over the poles of our planet this weekend. Analyses are showing that the temperature at the North Pole uh, reached the melting point. It's an enormous storm pumped intense uh, pulses of heat up through the Greenland Sea. Temperatures at the North Pole went as high as 35 degrees. And they say that it was... 50 degrees above normal, and that this warm air penetrated right through the heart of the central Arctic. That's incredible. Hmm. Imagine considering 35 degrees, or 32 degrees even, actually it was up to 35, three degrees above freezing, as being a heat wave. But at the (laughs) North Pole, it is a heat wave unprecedented perhaps, at least perhaps in our present knowledge. Uh, I've never heard of it before. They're not saying it's unprecedented, but they are calling it extraordinary and historic. And in Siberia, in France, excuse me, they have had a a blast of Siberian air. It uh, left two people dead from this. Uh, Over the weekend, temperatures in France plummeted to their lowest since 2005. There were snow and ice warnings in the Alps as the cold front that originated in Siberia crossed Europe and hit France. Temperatures dropped to as low as 12 degrees in France. You know, it's kind of a warm country. And there were 3,000 emergency uh, accommodation places that had to be open because uh, people didn't have a place to stay. They lost power and so on and so forth. Now, police in Paris reported that most homeless people went to shelters because they didn't want to die from the cold, but other people were avoiding shelters because they were afraid of deportation, perhaps some of those migrants coming up from uh, the east, uh, eastern countries. And the cold front has been dubbed, they're calling it the Moscow-Paris front. They say that um, they expected uh, temperatures in France to fall as low as 35 below zero with 50-mile-per-hour winds. This was just in yesterday's news. Four tornadoes have been confirmed as daylight reveals a swath of damage in the southern U.S. As you all probably heard, maybe on national news on Sunday, the National Weather Service confirmed at least uh, two EF tornado damage uh, with maximum winds of 120 miles per hour in Clarksville in Logan County, Kentucky. Also, they had an EF2 tornado touchdown with maximum winds of 120 miles per hour. And uh, in Pittsburgh area, they have had over a dozen landslides that hit in the Pittsburgh region, region obviously due to the uh, enormous amount of rainfall, perhaps. But they forced uh, evacuation of uh, residents and uh, had to close roads. 
In Papua New Guinea, just a couple of days ago, they were hit by a 7.5 magnitude quake. Uh, it said it actually rocked Papua New Guinea. It was just moments after a smaller seismic event struck Japan, increasing fears of a natural disaster impacting the dangerous region dubbed the Ring of Fire. Everybody's a bit worried about the Ring of Fire. A 7.5 magnitude quake struck the heart of the island, and uh, it hit a depth of two kilometers. Happened early in the morning. Thousands of properties have been destroyed, and more than 30 people are now assumed dead in the aftermath of that quake. And that's all I have to this date. That latest update with 30 people uh, unfound or feared dead, anyway, uh, was from today's updates, today's news. So I imagine they're still digging through the rubble. And our last uh, piece for tonight, this is pretty, wow. Researchers at Harvard have created an electronic artificial eye. Inspired by the human eye, researchers at the Harvard John A. Paulson School of Engineering and Applied Scientists have developed an adaptive meta-lens that is essentially a flat, a flat electronically controlled artificial eye. Now, the adaptive meta-lens simultaneously controls uh, three of the major contributors that causes blurry vision. It controls problems such as focus, stigmatism, and something called image shift. Now, I'm quoting a researcher who says, this research continues breakthroughs in artificial muscle technology with MetaLens technology enabling the ability to create a tunable MetaLens that can change its focus in real time exactly like the human eye. They want to go one step further to build the capability of dynamically correcting for eye problems, vision problems such as stigmatism and image shift, which the human eye cannot naturally do. So what this actually says is, they're building an electronic artificial eye that will allow for perfections in vision and seeing beyond what they can currently do uh, to repair eyes with surgery, lenses, and so on. So pretty remarkable stuff. And I wonder what else they're going to use it for. Uh, obviously, yeah. many, many <laughs> things. But an electronic artificial eye. Now, you know, I've mentioned a few things on tonight's show about what's up in science. You all need to know this isn't 1% of the kinds of advancements every week, just the kind of stuff that comes up that's even out of the scope of my ability to report it. It's so specialized. I would have to research each article. Otherwise, it would uh, seem to most of you as gobbledygook because <laughs> it is incredibly beyond what I ever learned in school. And uh, even as an adult moving on now into my older years, uh, the, the kinds of things that they're talking about now are beyond the scope of what most of us can comprehend. So science is really surging forward uh, exponentially. It's been doing this for quite some time, but now it is really exponentially increasing. And so there it is, uh, science advancement uh, exponentially increasing, but perhaps consciousness or human, perhaps education, ethics, morals, capacity, uh, lagging somewhat behind. Thus, we have 
many of the ethical uh, dilemmas that we're faced with right now. What a time to be alive. Goodness sakes. So from my heart to each one of you, have a beautiful week. Shine on, and we will talk again next week with more Starseed News. And I look forward to being with you again, too. Oh, great. Anastasia, I just have to think that, you know, that we have to um, expand spiritually, exponentially as well to keep that balance. Absolutely. That's our challenge, Ariel. That's being called for. There's no choice. There's no turning back. There's no going back in time. We have to, this is a call to each one of us to find out what we're made of and to escalate in those ways, in the spiritual ways, that the outside world is demanding that we do. That really, I think, ultimately is our mission as Starseed in this time. We have quite the challenge, but we're fully up to it. But the days of putting it off or maybe, you know, just thinking, oh, well, I don't want to do that, it's too hard, that's over. We're up against it now, and so much depends upon us. Each of our lives is so precious to the outcome. So that's why I say, and you, you say spiral up, I say shine on. So we're, we're on the right, right track, Ariel, with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia, for the news, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, I am going to um, switch modes here. I'll get Craig's mic open, and then I'll get Lavendar's mic open. And, okay, we are ready for takeoff. Hey, Craig, how are you doing? Hey, how are you guys? Oh, we're great. We're just so happy to have (laughs) you with us, like part of the family. Oh, man, I love being here, and I have to say I always love Anastasia's news. It is so awesome. It is. She does a great job. Yeah, she does yeah. an amazing and, job. An amazing job. And and I was thinking about how some of those news articles might <laughs> um lead you into uh, your new book. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, well, yes, yes. Yeah, so Lavendar, are you uh, ready to go? I'm here. I'm ready. Okay. Hey, Lavendar. Hey, so let's let's hear all about everything new that's happening with you. Uh, well, the uh, uh, the newest thing is uh, book one in the trilogy, which is no longer a trilogy because book four will come out in the spring. Uh, I'll get to that in a second, but I just want to let everybody know that um, I'm now converting all the books into Audible. Uh, so people can uh, now listen to an audio book. So book one, uh, I Am Tehran, is just hit uh, Amazon Audible. So people can go there and uh, download it and listen to it. I found an amazing uh, producer-narrator named David Bosco with this amazingly rich cosmic voice. And uh, he does a great job uh, narrating the whole book. And, um, you know, I have to say, he didn't have uh, such a hard time with all of the pronunciations. I just had to give it to him once, and he was good. (laughs) We all know there's so many, you know, names of, you know, cosmic things and cosmic places, cosmic people. Uh, you know, which are, are hard to pronounce when you're looking in a book. Of course, we have the pronunciation guide in the back of the book, but 
anyway, so that's up and available now. Uh, so book four actually continues with um, uh, we, we've learned in uh, book one, two, and three a little bit about the Heroids. And uh, the Heroids, uh, just to give you a little background, are uh, they, their souls once lived on a world um, that they destroyed and blew up. And because of the overcrowding of souls and no place for them to go, um, they 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 came up with uh, uh, the cosmic councils came up with a plan that they would create um, genetically engineered bodies, uh, and if the souls wanted to continue their evolution in this manner they could therefore um, enter these bodies. They can exit the bodies anytime they want, but usually they do a contract for a duration. So it was to go back to, to a, a consciousness of service, uh, where they became service to the uh, Galactarian alignment. They're not slaves. It's more of a service thing. Um, and... Um, uh, and those who chose to go to other worlds and wait in reincarnation cycles or to continue learning in the spirit world were also given that choice. So so book four actually is uh, subtitled The Heroid Revolution. So what we do is we actually go back and we find out, we go to uh, the world that they once lived on and found out uh, exactly what happened and... Um, uh, and there's a lot of correlations to things that are going on on this planet today, which which I don't want to give away because I don't want to give away the plot. But uh, anyway, there's uh, so the main um, heroids uh, that or heroid attendants for main commanders are the are the ones that we focus on their lives in uh, in that realm. Um, but we also were left off where three of our, well, two commanders and uh, and one of the commanders' brothers were left in a uh, in another dark dimension um, that was cosmic uh, cosmically. Well, they call it cosmic fabric stitching uh, because they couldn't allow these beings to get back into this universe. So. Uh, there is a commander who created this uh, this technique, and so they uh, cosmically stitched it so that they can't get back in or they can't get back out. So the dilemma in book four is how is Tehran going to go rescue his best friend, uh, which is uh, Commander Soltar, uh, also Commander Samzatar, and Soltar's brother, Sater. Uh, so uh, it, it's you know going back and bringing Commander Dant on board, and um, and seeing how they can get back in, get the rescue, get out, and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff of which ensues. But but it book four actually kind of ties up a lot of the um, storylines from all of the books. Um, especially Durakin, who we met 
in book one, who is the uh, uh, the the evil what we call warlock uh, who killed Lucifer's rearing parents in book one uh, when he was age seven to alter his course in in the universe. Um, so he is back in book four, and we learn about him and his overall schemes and all of these storylines tie together. They all get summed up. And, of course, at the end of the book, we, uh, we definitely will have a continuation uh, into uh, another book, which would be book five, but... I'm still contemplating that I I might next write a prequel and go back and where we learn about all of these characters uh, before uh, we met them in book one. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. Yeah, I really love that idea because I would like to go back to the times when – Tehran was born and, uh, you know, his struggles because he was born with a duality disorder, uh, how his parents handled that, but also to um, uh, go back into the time when uh, Lucifer was in the light and loved and adored by the, uh, the whole um, galactic kingdom um, in book three, we actually follow and go into his whole descent. Uh, we go uh, we go back and forth. He's we're in book three. We're in his actual tribunal for soul death, but in his original court hearings uh, for the takeover of the universe, we go back and forth and learn about. Um, what exactly did it, how it happened over time, and how he was able to pull in a third of the angelic kingdom into his into his world into taking over the universe so uh anyway, but uh we did learn in uh, book three that um he does have a sibling, and that sibling is a big part of book four uh not a sibling a but a child his, um his love interest, Tyron's love interest. I can't remember her name. Kyalina. Kyalina. Tell us about that relationship. Sure. Well, Kyalina, Kyalina is Tehran's, um twin flame. And uh, from the moment they met, it was uh, sort of instant for both of them. Uh, this happened very early on in book one. Um Tehran's longtime girlfriend at the time was a, a commander named Pandosala, um, who, strangely enough, is Kyalina's cousin, and huh. she's the one that made the introduction. So, so, so it's a little it's it's a little rocky in the beginning, um, but uh, all fairs all all works out as the books continue into uh you know into all of the relationships that actually should be and uh, everyone comes to terms and and uh, are happy with all the outcomes but Kyalina is um uh first we learn that she's a horticulturist so she actually creates flowers um and sends them off to they they get sent to specific planets and are seated there um 
But uh, another big part of her mission is that we learn, I'm not sure if it's book, I think it starts in book two and then in book three and will continue, of course, in book four. But she is the head um, overseer of the seventh ray race. And the seventh ray race is uh, star seeds that are incarnate on planet Earth their their uh gen- some of their genetic um uh reproductive um uh material is used to uh uh mate with uh uh various various species up in the universe uh, human um uh meaning they could be from the Pleiades they could be from Vega they could be from Arcturus uh um, Andromeda, etc. Um, and then these children are raised on the Seventh Ray Ranch, um, and there there are there are surrogate mothers and fathers and uh, master teachers, and they are brought up from the time they are born into specific um, duties that they will perform when the earth makes its, makes its changeover. So in the pockets of people that will be all over the planet, these people will then, uh, these these uh, seventh-ray children, which will, of course, be adults by then, will be placed, and they will then be teaching communities um, all about the universe and can answer anyone and everyone's questions about the universe, uh, they can interact with uh, technology. Um, they can, uh, you know, what, whatever the mind can conceive, they they will be there to help assist and to bring the world and the consciousness up to the level of universal society. Wow. So she has a big job. It's really, it's actually an amazing thing. Um, I think it's in book three where we go into we actually go to the seventh ray uh race ranch and um and we actually see how these children um once they reach a certain age they they work on each chakra all the way up through the christ chakras until they become fully conscious beings and and what happens when they become fully conscious beings um how they have to uh um come to terms with the things that they're seeing and feeling and experiencing. Um, so we get to learn all of that in book three as well. So because there, there's a lot that goes on mentally um, and spiritually when this, when these things occur. And uh, there's, there's quite some time where they have to learn how to balance and equalize those energies uh, within themselves, because especially when a mind goes full telepathic, you know it's it's like uh, crowds of noises um, just falling into your head, and and it's kind of hard to to siphon everything out. So it's learning how to um, uh, 
take out all the background noise and focus on the things that that you want to feel or hear and that kind of thing. And, of course, the one wonderful thing about being telepathic that that I'm not sure if uh, people know is uh, when uh, two people are telepathic, when they're actually sharing their thoughts with one another, that actually their feeling body goes with those thoughts so when the when you are telling an experience, the other person is actually having the experience as you're telling it because it's inside their feeling body. So that's a very cool thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that neat? You know, it just occurred to me as you were talking that this could be one of those mini series on Amazon or Netflix or Hulu. Yes, it definitely could. It definitely could. Have you gone um, to Amazon and talked to them about putting together uh, your miniseries? I actually haven't yet. Um, I'm just I'm trying to uh, book for. Uh, I've got a uh, a date for its release in um, uh, the springtime. So I'm trying to uh, get that done. And um, I'm working on a couple other projects and, of course, you know, trying to uh, uh, still raise the funds for the feature film for Stranger at the Pentagon. So, But we're getting closer on that. That's going to be a mind-blowing uh, film as well. But uh, the biography of an extraterrestrial saga is actually taking it a giant leap further because we're actually going into the unknown universe and we're learning about its hierarchy um, we're learning about paradise suns, uh, creator gods, uh, the angelic kingdom, the extraterrestrial kingdom, um, and getting into all of those realms of consciousness, uh, how all of their conscious technology works, how... Um, you know the the wonderful foods and different things that they eat uh uh plants and uh, things it, it's it's amazing it's it's amazing it it's a whole it really is a whole new world up there for us so i feel like this is recall for you you've lived this somewhere or you wouldn't be able I to i have write it. yeah i have it comes very easy i i get names and um uh, words that I've never heard of that I spell and um, and uh, plants and trees and flowers on different worlds. I they I you know the names of them just come through and I I am shown the image of what they are. So so my experience with writing, as I've shared on your show before, um, of course it's a it's a very advanced form of channeling. Um, uh, which I was prepared for early on uh, in my mid-20s uh, for several years with master teachers. But um, it's, um, it's you know, Claire, uh, Claire sentient, Claire audience. Um, I, can, uh, I see it, I feel it, I touch it, I taste it, and sometimes if I close my eyes, I'll get a click at the back of my neck, and boom, the visuals are right there for me to actually see them. And especially with all the, a lot of the commanders, the commanders come to me that way. So, and they share their feeling body with me when I'm writing about them. So I get to, uh, 
I get to really see and feel exactly who they are. And uh, But it's when um, the creator gods and the angelics and the paradise sons when they're sh- when they share their feeling body with you, uh, it, it's it's about a half hour or more really good sob, because it's so beautiful you can't even believe uh, that that you're feeling this unbelievable, glorious, angelic, you know, loving, re- really unconditional love energy. So. Ambrosia. Ambrosia. Ambrosia, thank you. That's that's a beautiful word. Uh, what was the biggest surprise you had while writing this series? What surprised you the most? Um, well, some of the relationships, uh, I, I had uh, maybe preconceived notions, like in book three, I had preconceived notions over um, uh, some relationships in there. And um, it totally went in a whole nother direction, and then it turned into something bigger and uh, bigger than I ever expected, and unbelievably cool. So, um, some, uh, so that's why you know when I started started this journey. Um, my guides, uh, my main guides, were are from the great I am that I am. They're in the uh, from the first uh, world created in the first universe and the first super universe. We're in super universe seven. Uh, they're in uh, super universe one. Um, I have three guide, three guides from there came and woke me up and uh, shared massive spiritual knowledge and took me through many tests but the one thing that i will always remember is uh uh the lead um whose name is father jacobaba said um don't censor anything as you write just keep writing and writing and writing until you can't write until the writing stops and then you're done for the day so um because you know our our mind wants to stop and edit and and change things so so for me it actually was like reading a book and book 3 was a book that i i couldn't wait to write because i wanted to find out what happened to lucifer in his um uh in his tribunal he was on trial for soul death so um so actually you know there there are two outcomes he's put back on a prison planet for the rest of his long immortal life or um his soul is destroyed and um either of those are not the outcome of what happens to him in book 3 and it blew my mind wow so i was just thought oh well there's only two logical answers there but there wasn't so there was another yeah, so... Um, you know, Craig, I'm just wondering, those years that, you know, you came right out of high school and you found yourself working uh, behind the scenes of, of those four years of Frank Herbert's Dune, don't yeah. you think that that something was working with you then to get you ready for what you're doing now? Yes, I I really like looking back, I believe that with all my heart because... I was called and offered that movie um, to be a production assistant. I was just leaving a, another film company, 
And one of the owner's best friend's sister uh, was working on Dune. They were just setting up over at Universal Studios. And she called me and said, you've been highly recommended. Um, you don't even need to come in and uh, uh, meet us. Can you start on Monday? And this was on a Friday. And I said, no, I really don't want to be a gopher anymore. Right. And um, And that was it. Right, and I think, but I didn't know what Dune was. I didn't know what Frank Herbert was. I didn't know who David Lynch was, and I didn't know who Dino De Laurentiis was. So, so you know, in our early um, uh, when when you're that young, and you, I, I think my paychecks back then were like two hundred bucks, <laughs> something ridiculous, and I spent. I just went and had a good time on the weekend, and I spent my money. I was like, what am I going to do for a job? And on Monday, uh, Debbie, who worked on Dune, called me back one more time and said, are you sure you don't want to work on the show? And I begrudgingly said, yes, when can I start? And um, I have to tell you, I wouldn't be talking to you today if she had never called me back. Wow. So I learned from the, all of those great masters, uh, literally uh, the art of filmmaking and working on that film for four years, meeting all those amazing actors. Um, the costume designer, Bob Ringwood, was, uh, I mean, his costumes in that thing were spectacular. Um, I actually back then could fit into Sting's costume, so I actually have a picture of myself in it. <laughs> and uh, but it it was an amazing experience. And then a, as I uh, moved through, and I was working at various film companies, I would go and learn uh, all from all the departments about things to do. So. And I, I knew that this was part of like my training to get me to where I am now, and um, uh, you know to make the uh, big stranger at the Pentagon and uh, get the autobiography of an extraterrestrial out there too. I think it would. I really think it would be a great Amazon series. Um, when Sci-Fi Channel remade Dune uh, after the David Lynch version. It was their highest ever uh, ratings for anything on the channel. I didn't know they remade. I didn't know they remade that. Dune. They did, yeah. They remade Dune. They. Uh, it was a, a big miniseries, and you can look it up. Um, Netflix. They had. Go ahead. Can you find it now on Netflix. I'm sure you could. Yeah, I'm sure you could. And by the way, when you watch Dune, there's two versions. There's the David Lynch version, and then there's another version. There was, I think, about six and a half to seven hours worth of film. Uh, They cut it down a lot. They had to cut out a lot of the Fremen uh, stuff, um, which was sad because, you know, some of those actors were down there working, uh, doing their roles for six months, and they literally were reduced to extras. But... They had to do it due to the time uh, time frames that they had. Um, but uh, Universal at one point wanted David to go back in and, and do an edit, and he really wanted to. And 
but he was working on something else and said, can you, can you just wait for me? And they said, no. And he said, then you will take my name off the movie. So on the extended version of Dune, it will say written and directed by Alan Smithy, which is a name that directors use uh, at the Directors Guild when they want their names taken off films. So if you ever see Alan Smithy on a film, that means a director had their name taken off that film. (laughs) Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, I know. You never knew that, right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really... Uh, holding the point for you, getting this miniseries up and running on something like Amazon or Netflix, I can see that they could really um, do you proud by by putting it together the way you've written it. Yes, yes. And we can do all the visual effects now. Uh, back in the days of Dune, uh, they, they just they had, they struggled. I mean, literally struggled. Uh, trying to do the blue within blue eyes. Um, at one point, Val Kilmer was playing Paul Maud Dib, and I remember Rafaela De Laurentiis, uh, the producer, myself, and Val went to this. Um, uh, I called him an old crazy scientist. It was like up in the Topanga Mountains, and and you know. Uh, uh, we laid on these tables, and he didn't even tell us what he was doing. He started pouring stuff in my eyeballs, and what, what he was actually doing was taking a mold. And we all did it, all three of us. Rafaela did it, too. Um, and because what they were going to do is they were going to do lenses, but what they found out was you couldn't leave the lenses in for a long period of time because your eyes had to breathe. So... So there was just so many things that they they couldn't do. Um, I think uh, I'm not sure if Al Whitlock did some of the matte paintings. He was an old time Universal matte painter. He was an awesome awesome gentleman. Um, but nowadays you you do green screen and they can create whatever you want. Um, one of the films um, I was uh, one of the casting directors on Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Um, Literally, when you see Jude Law and Angel, uh, Jude Law and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in the old '40s car, they are both sitting on boxes. The only practical prop is the steering wheel. Everything else is a green screen. They created that. That movie was 93% CGI. Wow! Wow! Tell us so, a little bit about what's happening with Stranger at the Pentagon, and have you taken the film to more? Um, festivals and just give us an update on what's been happening because a lot of people have ordered that book and they've they've kept up with you but they probably want to know what you're doing with it now well the uh, people can if if they haven't seen it they can watch it on uh, the website strangeratthepentagon.com they can uh, also uh, exploring through there uh, can read about some of uh, the other things, you know, see pictures of Valiant Thor and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. But um, really all I've been gearing towards, I'm starting to do storyboards for the film now, which is uh, where you create shot by shot uh, the movie. You have it all drawn out. So uh, so each day when, you, when you're shooting the film, you know what shots you're going to do. You have, it's more of a visual 
um, in doing a big CGI movie like this, um, we will also be having the um, uh, the visual effects team will be creating what we call previs. So it will be sort of it'll be animation of what we're shooting in that particular scene, so that the so that we so so that the visual effects team and the actors and everyone involved can actually see what it's going to look like. Um, there there's there's so much incredible technology now that you can even slide a background into a scene as you've just shot it to see what it looks like. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing, and they even have cameras now where you shoot um, your film uh, regular and on a 3D camera at the same time. So, well, you also so, have the capabilities to do an IMAX film with Stranger at the Pentagon, or with the yes, absolutely, because there's going to be you know there's a whole lot of. Uh, uh, we're going to be out in the outer space, and we're going to be on um, uh, motherships, starships, uh, Victor One, and remember Victor One, uh, Valiant Thor's flagship, and and the Victor One fleet. All of these crafts are 300 feet in diameter, 97 feet from top to bottom. They're double deckered, uh, and then below the first floor is the storage area where they have uh, transportation uh, when, when they're on Earth, like motorcycles, boats, cars. Um, I don't think they have helicopters. They wouldn't need that. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, and uh, I, I, was, I actually have the blueprints to the actual craft, so... So we know uh, what every room and uh, uh, quarters looks like. There's uh, each each of those crafts holds 200 crew members. So, so they're quite large, and everybody has their own specific duties and uh, all of that. So, so we're going. Uh, I think the thing that is going to blow people's mind is remember when you first. We're sitting in the theater and you saw the trailer for Avatar and you were like, oh, my God, what is this? That's what people are going to say when they see the trailer for Stranger at the Pentagon because when they see the inside of the starships and the motherships, it's it's going to blow people's mind. And I think it's going to reactivate a lot of uh, soul memory in a lot of people uh, you know who have incarnated here from across the universe. So Star Trek, Star Trek started doing that a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, they did. They did. And Gene Roddenberry uh, quite openly talked about he knew that he was getting downloads from um, advanced beings, um, and uh, he went to channelings. He, you know, he went and did. Uh, a, a lot of things, and and you know that that brought that wonderful Star Trek universe uh, into our world. I mean, we really need we really needed that for people to you know really start seeing and learning, starting to learn the beginnings of what duality actually is, and going out 
and and being out in the universe and combat you know being with different different kinds of beings of course they they were they were always in contact with dualistic beings because it was a TV show and they had to do that so um to let you know the other day I was um uh, on Netflix or Amazon I can't remember which one but I typed in UFO TV someone had told me to type that in and what came up was 197 films about extraterrestrials and wow. about of our work. They had Stephen Gear's work, uh, uh, Ancient Aliens, everything. Yeah. Wow. 197. I just, I said, oh my goodness, the time is right for now, isn't it? It is, and Ancient Aliens is still going extremely strong. I think they're well over, they may be up to even 1,100 episodes by now. Uh, the one I did uh, almost two years ago was episode 906. So, um, yeah, that was great. You talk to them very often? What's that? You talk to the people that do that very often. Are you still in touch with them? No, they they had uh, somehow they had seen the short film and they called me and wanted to do a whole story on uh, Dr. Frank and Valiant Thor, and um, and asked me uh, to be on the show. So I have a a little brief segment there, but um, they did a beyond imaginable great show on the story. Um, even having the story confirmed by Paul Hellyer. Uh, the former uh, Minister of Defense uh, of Canada. Um, and uh, I think George Nury may have been on that episode, too, talking about Valiant Thor. Um, but it was just an incredible thing. So I, if, if people haven't seen it, if you just Google uh, Ancient Aliens, The Mysterious 9, N-I-N-E, and I think we're about forty or forty-five minutes into the show. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's on. I'm sure it's up there, and or you can buy it on DVD. That's what I did because uh, season nine is out now. So uh, you know the yeah, thing that I thought was kind of curious. About, I love that show. I, I really think they've done a wonderful job, but they never really interview women. It's all about the men and what they think. Well, that you know, you're yeah. I've only seen. I think on the episode I did, I had suggested that they get Laura Eisenhower because of you know her connection to uh, President Eisenhower, and so they had her on the show. And I think there was another woman. Um, she was more talking about the Puharich. Uh, um, what was that thing called? Uh, M- was it? Uh, well, that was part of the nine. The, he was the mind, the MK Ultra, MK Ultra. Yeah, yeah, that's MK, the, yeah. That, yeah. She was talking. She was talking uh, in that segment with uh, Puharich and all of that, and and that I'm not sure exactly uh, what, but um, uh, Gene Rodberry actually went to some of the channelings of the nine. Uh, there were two people. Uh, that channeled the nine back then, and he went to some of that those. And interestingly enough, um, if you look throughout Star Trek's history, nine is a very uh, prominent number. Um, 
so uh, we know that there was seven of nine. I think I came up with like seven or eight nines. I think maybe I'm, uh, uh, I'm not sure, but the number on the on the enterprise I think adds up to a nine. Um, and uh, and there were nine crew members on the next generation. Yeah, right. So, you know, so nine. we have that our Starseed quest in March. May, August, and November, and uh, each time that we have a quest, we always show your film. Oh, that's so great. People <laughs> sit there and go, oh, there's my name, because you have all the people that donated to the film. You have them all listed. <laughs> I did. I did. I wanted everyone who contributed, no matter if it was a dollar or or coming and helping us on the set, I wanted everyone's name on there because it was everyone we all created it in in a wonderful collaborative manner so so as i always said it's a film that belongs to the people because the people really want this they want this kind of filmmaking and and to bring stranger at the pentagon to uh the screen is going going to be a first with these types of films because uh, when people start to see it, and, and uh, you know, they'll start questioning. And actually, in in a wonderful way, this is a form of disclosure um, to to show how Eisenhower's hands were tied and different things, and and he was made to keep quiet and, and you know, remembering his wonderful speech about uh the evils of the military com- uh military complex before he exited um and uh so th- there was a lot and and there there's um can't remember the gentleman's name uh I have it written down somewhere but but he was at the Pentagon and he actually saw paperwork uh, proving that Eisenhower had met with human extraterrestrials, so um, he was a, I think, a senator or, or something. But um, but if you type that up, I'm sure it'll pop up on YouTube. Um, well, we're we're thrilled to have you on our show and, and bring us up to date. We love to have you come and talk to us often. And at this time, I'd like to pass you over to Ariel, my co-host, who has the switchboard. All so right. Feel free to to contact me anytime you want to come on, even if it's just for five minutes to tell us something, okay? Sure. That would be great. Thank you so much, Lavender. Just stay connected to us, <laughs> and we want to continue to help and support you, and you let us know uh, you know, how much money we need to raise for you anytime that you need it, because that's p- part of what we do here is help the Star Seeds go forward with movies, with books. You know, we have a lot of people that are entertainers. We have yes. the right music. We have um, actors and actresses that come to our Starseed Quest. We've been collecting their portfolios. So when you're ready to see what we have, we'll we'll deliver it to you. Oh, I would love that. And and by the way, I've met, uh, as you know, two two people you introduced me to who I love and adore and are my good friends to date. So well, good. Yeah. I mean, I love you guys, and thank you again for having me on. Okay, so back to you, Ariel. Okay. All right, Ariel. It's such a pleasure <laughs> to have you. I mean, you just you're so much, you know, part of our family um that and and you still come up with 
stuff like I, I didn't know you did that. No, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> so yeah, I mean you've had quite the uh, quite the the journey. Yes, know, I the, I have I have I've had an amazing journey. So um, just before we uh, continue here, I want to let our listeners know that if you have a question or comment for Craig. Uh, if you're already on the switchboard, then you just need to press 1 so we know that you want to come on the air and talk. And if you are listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, Craig will try to answer your question or enjoy any, any comments that you might have. So... Um, that we'll just we'll wait and see if if anyone has a, a question or comment, but um, so you've got you've got four books now, plus four the stranger, books. four books, and the stranger at the Pentagon short film. Um, have you had a chance to um, you know exhibit it at besides the um, the places where you already won? <laughs> Has there been any? No, any no. Uh, I because it takes so much time to uh, do the festival route because you you have to fly there, you have to uh, put yourself up. Uh, there's so much, and uh, of course, as you guys know, during the day, my day job is as a casting director for film and television, so it's a little hard to say I can't get away because I'm actually tied down to actually casting on uh, several days a week so um, so I, I I was very lucky I, I started with uh, two right off the bat and and we actually won both so it was very exciting well so you're batting a thousand yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just leave it just leave it at that. But I, I know, I know. And when, and yeah. you've got it um you've got it where people can see on your your website stranger at yeah. the pentagon dot com and um everybody go I mean it's like like twenty twenty five minutes, is it? I think it's like 25 minutes, something like that. And then at the end, uh, there's a little nice surprise uh, with Dr. Frank uh, telling uh, when he first met Valiant Thor. Well, you know, we we have new listeners all the time. And we probably have a lot of people who are and will be listening to this throughout the week who don't know yeah. anything about who is Dr. Frank, how did you meet him, and, you know, who's this valiant Thor. So can you give us kind of like a little summary? Uh, for sure. Those who I'll, may give not you, have I'll give you a before. thumbnail. I'll give you a thumbnail because yeah. <laughs> it's a very long story. But I originally read Stranger at the Pentagon in the 80s, and there was a picture of this created being named Valiant Thor, his vice commander named Dawn, and another crew member, uh, which was her name was Jill. And they're all um, extremely good looking. And if you think about it, when you are when you are fully conscious and you are in your soul perfection body, as we know when we leave here, we go back to looking young. 
but we look ten times better than what we did (laughs) (laughs) when we were here. So it makes sense that they that the inward beauty now reflects the outward beauty. So so that's how I looked upon them and there was just something that resonated with me and uh I I thought about the book from time to time and uh, back then my casting partner's name uh was Joy Todd. She's she's since passed away. Um but we were partners for 10 years, and uh, she knew I, I loved uh, this whole realm of uh, UFOs and everything. And she said, you have to meet some friends of mine because they actually see flying saucers all the time. They live in Arizona. And uh, so I met them, and uh, the wife, uh, first words I ever met, she's, uh, you know, well, our friend Dr. Frank, she had this sweet little southern accent. And I I said, you mean strangers? And she said, yeah, you want to meet them? <laughs> and I said, sure. <laughs> I sure. I literally was sitting with them the following week having a very long lunch. And um, me thinking I was a fan once in a lifetime lunch and I would move on. And uh we ended up becoming uh fast friends and um it was never my intention to uh make this into a movie at all but uh, at a certain point he called me and said that gentleman wanted to make it into a movie he had many people throughout the years want to do it and he was always left high and dry or like they took advantage of him and and booked and nothing ever got done. So, and you have to remember, if you are naive to the film business, it is it is a very tough thing to navigate. So, me being in it my entire life, um I said he said, "Would you please come to the meeting with me?" And I said, "Of course." Uh I went to the meeting with them. I could not find any information about this gentleman on uh, on IMDb, and of course, anybody in the film business—that's you know your livelihood is your credits on IMDb, which is the Internet Movie Database. So, uh, so we we had a meeting with him. He said he wanted to make it into a film. Uh, it was uh, with uh, me, Dr. Frank, his wife Julie, and um, myself. And uh, anyway, I called the gentleman a little while later and uh, just asked him for his credentials. And he said, I only do business on a handshake. And I said, well, then you're not doing business with Dr. Frank. So um, so I took Dr. Frank out to lunch. I told him this. And, and, uh, and I really saw how disheartening it was to him. And I actually saw a tear leave his eye. And oh. um, so... Um, I I said, you know, Dr. Frank, your your book is vignettes of stories throughout the years and and it's really not in in a form where you could make it into a movie. And um anyway, long story short, we I just started sitting with him um a couple times a week and I said, just start telling me your stories. Just start telling me all of your experiences with with Val and his crew. And that's what I found the most fascinating. I had never really thought about the crew. 
I had only thought about those three people I saw in the picture. So learning about all the crew members, who they were, what they did, what their functions were, um, was the most fascinating to me. And also learning that there was another created being, or I, I call created beings or or are um, um, uh, very angelic, um, and they they are they are fully conscious beyond what a a uh, master teacher or a fully conscious being in the cosmos would be. So they they have a, a bigger awareness, and that's why they are sent to certain planets and things because they are the person that everybody goes to in times of uh troubles or in uh, or to settle disputes or to find out how to uh make uh, make something work in their society. Um we're lucky because we get Valiant Thor. He is here, he is still here, so says Dr. Frank. And he is not leaving until the planet goes into its transformation. Um, so, uh, but so I just started sitting with him, and I started writing a script. And um, after a few years, I gave him a draft, and he said he he read it, and he was going to give it to uh, Thor. And uh, I didn't hear from him for a I don't know two three weeks. And uh, he said that uh, uh, that he had met with uh, Valiant. Uh, he said he doesn't read; he just holds it in his hands and absorbs it. And um, and he said uh, he said to say uh, good job. And I said <laughs> that's it. No notes. <laughs> right. And he goes, well, that's what he said. And I said, okay. And um, just to sort of back up, in the early 90s, um, I was meditating, and I got a click in the back of my neck, and I saw this very beautiful woman with long red hair, green eyes, porcelain skin, in a space suit, um, a very Rubenesque form, standing in front of a silver saucer, just beaming and smiling, at me, and and this is during the time I'm writing all the Tehran books. So I had a lot of a lot of these incredible teachers popping in all the time. I didn't know who she was. She didn't say her name, but I thought about her often. And um, so when I was writing the script, she started popping back, and she's very gregarious and very fun. And this happened to be. Vice Commander Teal, who's on Victor One. <laughs> so she was there from, uh, well, who knows how far back she goes when, when you know, once I was being uh, woken up to do to do all of this work. Um, so anyway, I woke up the next morning after meeting with Dr. Frank, and um, like the rings of Saturn were spinning around my head with all the notes for the script. Wow. And I immediately went to my computer and just started inputting and inputting and inputting. And, you know, and I have to say, when it's there, you can't stop. It, there is a flow that you have to get it all out. 
uh, you can't take a breather. You have to just keep going and going and going until it's done. And uh, so that's what the process was like. And um, as we moved and shifted uh, things around uh, over the years and incorporating um, uh, Dr. Frank's story uh, in there and the things that happened with him and uh, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, it was kind of hard, but, you know, he went through a lot. He went through a lot back then because he was a man who was a, a, a Christian minister who spoke at churches about UFOs and the Bible. So he was met with a, with a, a, a lot of applause, but he was also met with a lot of um, people who who despised him for what he was doing. So um, now, uh, as I tell everyone, I have not met Valiant Thor. I have not met anybody that's on there. I have met them on the inner. I know a lot of other people have contacted me, and they have met met um, especially Valiant Thor on the inner. That they they just say they somebody comes to them in their dreams, telling them his name is Valiant Thor. They find the book, they see the picture, and they're blown away. So they're they're uh, they evidently have some something to do pertaining to some mission. So um, I I've had a, a about. Three, I think, where he's come to me in dreams and spoke. The last he actually came with President Eisenhower, and they were both just standing, staring, and smiling at me. And uh, Valiant Thor shook my hand. And uh, when I, uh, the one thing that uh, Dr. Frank and others who had met him that I've met uh, spoke about were the softness of his hands because he doesn't have any uh, markings and so I was able uh, in this lucid dream to feel that it was amazing wow. it was amazing so um, so I always say to everybody it's a wonderful positive story um, I leave it up to you and your belief system of what you want I I have studied a lot of the facts and everything throughout all of these years, and that's what I get to share with everyone. Um, but I would like to just share one thing really quick, and um, it, it happened many years ago. Um, I I was uh, had a really bad stomach ache. I was actually bedridden for three days with a stomach ache, and then finally I called a friend. To, rushed me to the doctor. Uh, they gave me all kinds of stuff. It didn't work, and they decided to throw me in an ambulance and shoot me off to the hospital. Um, when I was there, they did x-rays, and they said I had a bowel obstruction. Uh, they were going to operate on me the next morning. So um, I think uh, my friend ended up leaving around 10 or 11 at night. And um, that night, I woke up, you know, when you're in twilight, you're half asleep and you're half awake. Mm -hmm. um, I felt teal standing over me, and I felt bubbles going through my intestines. Physical bubbles going through my intestines. And I knew when I woke up in the morning, I would be okay. But when I woke up in the morning, 
sitting in a chair on my bedside was Dr. Frank. And he said, Teal called me early this morning, and she wanted me to come and tell you that she fixed you up last night. <laughs> and and <laughs> I told them that I wanted them to do x-rays again, that I was feeling much better, and they did, and the obstruction was gone, and I walked out of the hospital at 2 o'clock that afternoon. So, so I, I like to tell that story because it ties it into some semblance of belief, even for me. Um, I, among everyone else on this world, would love to meet Valiant Thor, and um, but uh, you know, I I've just never had the pleasure of of that. So yet, um, yet, 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 and yet. and I welcome it <laughs> and. <laughs> I welcome it, but you know, created beings. Um, I I met another man who had a wonderful story. God is just uh, you know, the man; he just had a beautiful soul. And uh, I spoke to him last year, and he told me when he was seventeen, he was uh, uh, in Miami. He was walking around, and um, he was always wondering about what was out there in the universe and about life itself. He started seeing silver craft in the skies. And then uh, a while after that, he said there was a man who was about five foot seven with blonde hair. He said he kind of had Asian eyes, but not really, and they were blue. And uh, he was white, and he approached him, and he said, we've been listening to your thoughts, and I'm here to answer all your questions. And uh, anyway, this man had 44 contacts that year with this being who then who told him he was a created being and that he had created this specific body for him because it's the one that he would most accept. And interestingly enough, um, he taught him so much about himself and the universe, and then at the end of the 44 contacts, of course, which is a spiritual Christ number, that um, it ended and that that set his life path. And, uh, um, and of course, uh, you know, I spoke to him. He's in his 70s now, and, uh, I mean, just a gorgeous, gorgeous soul about all of the spiritual things uh, that he's learned and... and uh, you know his duality had uh, clicked into full consciousness, so we we love that when that happens. So yeah, that's yeah, a great story. So, well, we so do have two people who are waiting to talk to you. Oh, perfect. So yeah, yeah. So um, just kind of waiting for you to finish that thought. So sure. first of all, um, we're going to talk to Cat, and then we're going to talk to Lynn. And okay. uh, uh, let's see. Okay, we're going to open up Cat's mic first. Hey, Cat. Right. Hi, Cat. Hi. Hey, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Okay, great. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Lavendar. Hello, and Kat. Hi, Craig. Good to hear from you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> so, um, so Craig, um, uh, I've listened to you on this radio show before, and I'm fascinated and look forward to uh, learning more about your books and your your upcoming film. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, and I'm I'm a singer songwriter, 
and um, an empath. And uh, I've been working in the world music genre for 30 years. And uh, then songs started coming in um, mm. in different languages. And I pick up languages and rhythms like really naturally. So that was just really interesting. And um, so I'm more recently, I've been interested in getting involved in the entertainment industry and just finding out like, how can, how can someone that's working with some consciousness and awakening and seeding um, the planet with these songs that have um, awakening codes in them, Oh, I know. Well, first of all, you industry. have to. You first of all, you have to email me. My, you can email me through my website, autobiography of on anet dot com, and okay. uh, send me your info. And we can, you know, talk more later because um, I I love that. I I've actually once heard music from somewhere else, not not with vocals. But it was so beautiful, I can't even comprehend on how to duplicate it. So, mm. so you, who are given the special gift, um, the, these doorways will be opening uh, a lot within the next 20 years because I've been in the film business a lot. There is just nowhere to go. There is mm-hmm. nowhere to go except for up and spiritual um, mm. And bringing these these uh, concepts and things that people are so hungry for, and and they're not even they don't even know they're hungry for it yet because they haven't it hasn't been brought into their consciousness. But songs just like you're talking about and talking and other things, you know, I've met star children who are in their teens who speak five star languages and write them. Mm. So it's, I mean, I know, it's (laughs) mind-blowing. It's literally mind-blowing. And and it really does my heart good because these are masters. These, the the kids that I've met are literal master teachers who have incarnated because they they are so brilliant and, and they are fully conscious and loving beings. Um, and you, with with this kind, you know, these kind of songs and things like that. What I would suggest is just start putting them out on iTunes and start um, uh, trying to get it get it out there through uh, you know all the different avenues um, that that you can think of. Um, uh, by maybe going to some conferences, uh, uh, things like that. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm not sh- so sure about, because I know I, I have a lot of friends who are uh, singers and, and uh, composers, and they do a lot of their own stuff, and I know, uh, I know they get their stuff out there, so maybe I can connect you to one of them for some advice. Wonderful. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. But I want to hear. I want to hear. <laughs> well, we're we're connected on Twitter and um, Instagram. But oh, I'll send you perfect. A okay, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. And um, and and I'll send you my email so you can send me stuff. That would be awesome. Perfect. 
Yay. And I was a big, I was a big fan of Dune and the Bene Gesserit. <laughs> I know. I I have to tell you, you know, because I just did my audio book uh, for I Am Tehran. I'll be working on book two soon. I I I got the Dune audio book, and I am just loving reliving it all. Um, going oh. I kind of uh, back then I didn't understand it because I was so young and and I I really fought my way through it and you know I had David and actual Frank Herbert and everybody to help me through it but listening to it now I'm like oh God it's so wonderful it, it's well, just and so I'm getting, wonderful and rich and I'm getting information in my dreams about um, you know women's awakening. Um, yeah. to their spiritual gifts. And I wrote a song about it in, in an African language. And then it got picked up by a, an African artist and put on <laughs> her album. And so the Bene Gesserit, just the whole spiritual rise of women is just yes. lighting me up. Yeah. Oh, so it's yeah. Through and dreams and, and visuals. Yes. Yes, yes. So I, w- I would definitely reach out to you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, I'm excited to hear it all. <laughs> she's got some really good stuff so make sure you make sure you send him uh and yeah the song that sticks with me that cat that, that you, what you sang at the quest i'm going to be my own boyfriend <laughs> i love that <laughs> i have so many girlfriends who 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 are so tired of their husbands, they say, I so know why women are gay. I so know why women are gay. Because we understand each other. <laughs> you know. I'll send you that one. So, well, Kat, yeah, you be, <laughs> be sure to, be sure to uh, uh, send your stuff and, and, and get with Craig and see what happens. Set your yeah. intention and go for it. That sounds great. Thank you. And my my Instagram okay. for everybody else is Craig Campo Craig underscore Campobasso. So um and all the uh the stranger at the Pentagon and um autobiography of a ET uh it's all on Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So Check people it out. want to follow. Yeah. And cool. so who do we have next? So Thank you so much for calling, Kat. It's good to hear from you. You too, Ariel. <laughs> okay, All right. Bye, Kat. Look forward to connecting. Bye. Yes, bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. So um, next we are going to talk to Lynn. Let me get the mic open. Hey, Lynn. How are you doing? How are you? Hi, Lynn. I'm great. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so, I'm so excited you're doing this, and I got in a little bit late on the front end, so my big question is, I know we can get the trailer. When does, do you anticipate the movie? Well, the, the short film you can watch on the website, StrangerThePentagon.com. Um, I'm still I'm still talking to investors for the big movie, but you have to remember it's going to be a big independent film. So, so we're ready to rock and roll once once uh, all the financing is done and knitted properly with all the attorneys. Um, we would go into uh, pre-production, which will probably take about five months. You go into production, it'll be a, about a two-month shoot. 
Um, then you have post-production, and you have to remember uh, just the short film had 90 visual effects, and that took us like a year to oh do. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, but, but we, of course, I couldn't hire the big giant companies. I, I found a wonderful sort of... Uh, Middle of the road company in Phoenix that that did a that did a really wonderful job for us, but in the uh, big feature it'll be um, you know a lot of the the big giant companies and hopefully uh, my favorite ILM Industrial Light and Magic because they just do spectacular work so uh, so it'll be bringing all of this uh, all of this stuff to life and uh, all of that you know it all just takes time. And uh, so usually it's about a year or more year to a year and a half uh, and uh, with distribution and uh, prints and advertising and everything to get it out there. And plus, at the same time, we're going to be shooting a documentary um, of the people that have, uh, um, you know, been involved with this story from the beginning and, uh, telling all of that, we'll also do a making of. I love doing makings of. You know, I am a sucker and buy every DVD for every big visual effects movie because I love to sit there and watch how they did it. <laughs> I, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, you get so much more when you own the the backstory. Yes, yes, that's for yes, sure. Or at least a little bit of it. A little bit of it, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you watched uh, uh, Superman versus Batman, I was looking at some of that stuff and saying, I have no idea how they did that, but I bought that that Blu-ray and and saw it, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yes, that makes sense. <laughs> now, so. have you have you finished your funding? Is 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 that complete? You're just waiting on lawyers. Or are you still looking at funding? We're still looking at funding, um, and there's a few bites, but we're just ironing out different kinks, but we never know if anything's going to go through, so I just never put all my eggs in one basket, and, um, you know, always always uh, uh, sifting yeah. through, you know, if there's anybody else that, you know, that... Uh, comes on board and that kind of stuff. Right now, our the budget is, is actually not bad. It's uh, only twenty five million for a film of this size, um, uh, which which is pretty good. So because uh, everything well, pretty much good. Gonna, yeah, yeah, it's just gonna um, everything's gonna take place on green screen and in you know from nineteen fifty seven to. 1960 Washington DC so um it's you know so we're going to we'll be at the Pentagon the White House uh um and like I said on board starships motherships uh planets and uh the Victor 1 saucers well from that for that time period you could just call it liar liar pants on fire <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, this is so exciting. This is so exciting, and I, I, I just want to, I want to also wrap around Lavender's um, comment about no women being on the ancient aliens. They have a little snippet here. I mean, even Kathleen McGowan is on a little snippet here and a little snippet there, and I think that they must hire people 
to go, she's now on the curse of Oak Island. <laughs> it's like, it's, 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 it's um, unbelievable how all of this just keeps connecting, you know? Right, and and you know the thing is that um, they what they don't have are regulars like they have the four regular guys, right? Exactly. They, they, they don't, don't have, have they don't have yeah. a woman, and, they and don't you, have know, a presence, you know you know would female be female presence at all. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe you know I mean think of uh, I mean the ladies out there. I think Linda Mooton Howe has done the show, but she would be a nice addition or. You know, somebody that, that's been in this field like her for a very long time, um, you know, just to give a woman's voice and a woman's perspective to this. So uh, so I, I agree with that. Okay, let's call up Giorgio. Do you have his number? Yeah. Do yeah, <laughs> you, you have it in your contact list? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, we, I think we've sent it out, and I'm sure that, that it will be heard. Yes, yeah, and and yeah. Uh, all the people I dealt with over there were absolute, uh, absolutely uh, terrific. So, yeah, uh, it was very, very, uh, a very nice experience. So, well, it is always a pleasure to hear what you're doing, and it's so exciting. And I'm, I'll, I'll get, I'll get contact information from. At, or if you want to, if you're going to put it out anyway, just I'll go ahead and take it down because I I may be able to at least talk to some people. Oh, absolutely, yes, and and um, my uh, well, my, it's out there on the internet. So my email is just okay. my name at gmail dot com, Craig Campobasso okay. at gmail dot com. So, and if you forget that, remember on any of my websites, uh, strangerthepentagon.com or autobiographyofanet.com, you can also email me through the website. Um, by the way, the subscribe buttons on both those websites are broken and we're trying to fix it. So if anybody hits the subscribe or if they want me to subscribe them, they can just email me directly and I can input them. So, Perfect. Yeah. Great. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, cool. it was great talking to you, Lynn. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Oklahoma. Oh, I did a movie there last year and the year before. We did a, a big movie called Star Bright uh, about the Archangel Raphael. Yes. Yeah. And, did you? What, were, were, did you do the? Did you do the the um, the um, Did you? Casting. Was it in the film? It was that I did. I did all. I did all the uh, casting in Oklahoma. I was there for uh, several weeks, and then we moved to Baton Rouge and did all the casting there. And um, I hired John Reese Davis, you know, who has been in everything. Yes, under the sun everything. to play Raphael, the Archangel. It's a wonderful fantasy film. Uh, with lots of gorgeous CGI, and I, I just saw a uh, rough cut of it with, with uh, no none of the CGI in it yet. But uh, uh, boy, it sure turned out great! Really, oh, really great. Well, so I can't wait to now, see it there. Did you get in into our funding package through that? I mean, is that why you came here? 
I think they did. Yes, I think I think okay. they had some kind of tax credits there. Tax credits, yeah. Yes, uh-huh. yes, and uh, and also some tax credits in Baton Rouge as well. So, um, but they were there for a very long time uh, filming. We built the uh, the giant uh, house farm out on the, uh, I'm not sure what it's called, but it's where all the wild stallions run, somebody that owns that property. So uh, just driving in, we would see hundreds and hundreds of of horses running, and uh, they'd walk up to the car, and I mean, it was just really amazing. Well, it sounds like um, the fellow that has the Clyde Stales and the big, the big um, barn, and and a lot of property. I uh, it's uh, I'm just trying to think. I can't think of the little town that we were in, but it's you, where they. Oh, which one? Yukon. No, it's um, no. it's where they also did the one with Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. Um, oh, okay, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's that town. Um, I I can't even think of the name of it right now, but uh, yeah, beautiful. It was just beautiful. Well, that so, is so fun. That is so yeah. fun. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, but it was it was a fun time. Well, so look next out for time that you'll movie. have to let me know you're in town. I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, All right. Thank nice you. talking to you, Lynn. Thanks, ladies. Nice speaking with you. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay. Take bye care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Do you have Valiant well, Thor on the phone? <laughs> 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 well, actually, he doesn't use a phone. Um, he just, you know, telethought communication. <laughs> they actually, you know, they actually had a way um, – uh, that uh, Dr. Frank called a special number from his phone and it actually went to the actual ship. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, but they, yeah. could, they could come and do any type of, um, I mean, he could come in any form of communication. So, uh, yeah. anyway, but, yeah, I always thought that that was interesting. One time... Um, uh, Dr. Frank, I know he went to Vegas and he went out to the craft and he, uh, but, uh, I just thought he was calling me from Vegas and, and I said, Dr. Frank, you sound young. I said, your voice, I said, you sound like you're a man of 30, you know, and I met him when he was in his, uh, seventies and, um, and he goes, Oh, I'm on the ship. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm calling you from the ship. And I said, well, then maybe that's why you sound young. He said, oh, yeah, when you come here, you, you don't have any ailments. If if you walk with a cane, you don't need a cane. If you're blind, you're, you can see uh, whatever's wrong with you is, is perfect. But the minute you leave, you go back to your, the way it was. So it's the resonation fields that they have on board craft and all the craft. That's what keeps them young. So. Well, you might be you might be one of the only people on the planet that ever got a call from a starship. From a starship, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna be chuckling about that one. Yeah. Right. I'm calling from the ship. 
<laughs> but he did. It was amazing. He sounded yeah. like a very young man. <laughs> Gosh. And that, so, they're they're stationed at, at Lake Mead. Stationed at Lake Mead, and then they're the rest of the fleet is uh, stationed, and I think in. Uh, 187 locations in, around, uh, in, on, and above the Earth, um, constantly monitoring. So um, they have the capabilities, by the way, on board their crafts and on board um, their giant motherships and um, and starships that that can see the evolvement and the consciousness of every living being, and they can also siphon out the ones that are evil and the ones that are thinking about perpetrating horrific or heinous deeds upon humanity. And um, they they follow them and they uh, record and they do all of that. Of course, our soul is a recorder and all of that. All of that is always recorded into the Akashic records. But they also see and they do that. And and um, uh, so uh, it's and, and when things happen. Um, like when we had the the uh, that big atomic explosion in Japan, um, it makes me wonder: Do they take as much as they can possibly take so that people can still survive? Because I mean, we know that some has to be left for people to grow; otherwise, people would just keep doing it, right? Right. Um, but uh it, it, i've often wondered just how much that they 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 are here and that they are helping and um and they're doing what they can without interfering in individual and collective evolvement right there, well there must be some kind of a line it's like yeah. okay, you know, yeah. you let the kids go crazy and 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 break cups and plates and stuff like that. But when it comes to burning the house down, that's where they draw the line. <laughs> that's right, right. Well, yes, yeah, they're so. not going to let them blow it up. They are yeah. definitely not going to let them blow it up. So that's that's not going to happen to this planet. So and and they've already showed all the uh, military across the globe. They've already disarmed their weapons. And and um, and then reset them later on, and 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 made sure their crafts were above so that they knew who it was. And uh, you know, they just wanted to know that you guys are not going to blow this place up. So right. uh, because right. that's, you know, that's really, the final. that that's you know, and that's one of the big reasons as well that uh, Valiant Thor came here was because of. Uh, the atomics and all of that, because what they just don't realize is um, how how fragile the the nerve endings of the universe are. Meaning that we even when they a bomb goes off here, the ripple effects into the outer universe and into uh, the subtleties and into the interdimensionals and into other worlds and planets. It actually does affect it, and uh, 
you know, and they know this by uh, a pl- another planet that blew up. So there's all kinds of stuff that they that, that they never want to have repeated. So right. Well, um, we are we are winding down here, um, and we just have just have enough time to wrap up. And um, we have actually um, a caller that we can, we don't have time to take, but I can I can see that um, she wanted to know if you'd met the commander in person, and you had already said that no, not no, you know, not in in living conscious waking state, but. In right. um, in lucid dreaming. In lucid dreams, yes. In lucid dreams, yeah. Yeah. So and and yeah, I mean they've. I'm sure that they were in and out energetically when you were working on the film, and of course you know they sent um, Teal to to come and heal you when you were facing surgery. So yeah, yeah I mean you don't have to really meet them in person to be um, involved. So right. Wendy, and I hope that answers your question because we just, we really need to wrap up here. <laughs> so, Thank you, Wendy. Um, it's, yes, it is such a delight to have you on the show always, and um, you know, come by anytime you want to, even if it's just to stop and say hi, or if you have a few things that you want to mention. But um, we are fully supporting what you do. And we urge everyone watch Stranger at the Pentagon and read the the well. If it's not a trilogy, is it a, a is it a yeah, quadrilogy? Well, it's, a tri- it, it's a trilogy, but the fourth book, the continuation, uh, will be out in the spring. And and again, if people like the Audible version, book one is on Audible, and uh, book two should. Hopefully, be out in the next three or four months, and I'll just Excellent. keep and, doing And you say spring of time. spring of this year. Spring of this year, yes. Okay, so. well, make make sure you make sure you look for Mercury retrograde. Don't release oh, that thing. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> when Mercury's retrograde, it's it's too important. So and, that's and, right. And Mercury's going; it'll be retrograde this spring. So make sure you stay way clear of that. And either Lavendar or myself would be happy to um, give you that information. Oh, you know, that would be perfect. I'll let, I'll ask you guys what would be a good release date. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Let Lavendar handle that because it's it's what she does best. Wonderful. Timing. Timing. <laughs> Timing. Well, yeah. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm just giving you the biggest hug. <laughs> uh, I'm giving you a big hug, too. I love you guys so much, and I always love being on the show. You guys are the warmest and... Uh, uh, the brightest female team I've ever seen. I just love Aww. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Craig. So on behalf of everyone here, um, thank you so much, Craig Campobasso, for the work that you do on the planet, for your dedication to starseeds and raising consciousness. It's our privilege to know you. Oh, my privilege to know you guys, too. Love you all. Love you, too. <laughs> so uh, this is it for us tonight, boys and girls, and uh, we'll be back next week. And please keep in mind that we're going to be going to Arkansas, so we'll be off the air for, for two weeks um, towards the end of March. So, um, But we'll be back next week with um, more Starseed news and the three of us. So take care until then, and remember, every day find something to be truly grateful for. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.